This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. In episode 14, Joe and Matthew juxtapose the work of recent guests while calling on John Berger's ways of seeing and David Sally's how to see. Results of a turntable review are shared. Focus group feedback is sought as a new music segment is proposed. Someday we'll have a console with cup holders. We need a producer. Uh, we've had two recent podcasts, the episodes before this, Michi and Justin Rabidou. Yep. And you and I have had the opportunity to see Lonnie Holly's work recently. I am interested in the connection between those artists, the repurposed, um, repurposed materials, the sustainability they're similar in some ways in their process, and yet there are differences. I think it's interesting, though, because no one has come out and said that there's a sustainability aspect to it, per se. You know, like that's maybe, you can, of course, read that in because you're reusing something, but I think it was more in terms of, you know, maybe reattaching meaning to existing materials. Justin, Justin said he was... Because I threw that out there, but then Justin was saying that he was, you know, it's interesting that he's sustaining a practice, but then he's also looking at how do I reuse these materials rather than waste them. It seems like, but is that also, as he mentioned, that's partly like due to like budget constraints. I mean, a lot of folks are, let's face it, I mean, our supplies are very expensive. Um, And I mean, his, I thought was, you know, makes perfect sense. Just take a walk around a neighborhood in, in this town and. The streets are littered with uh, construction detritus, yep. and let alone pieces of furniture, or windows, and so. I mean, it, that kind of makes sense. But I, I was thinking in terms of uh, my prep for uh, for the podcast and reading a number of articles that I'm sure we'll delve into here in a minute. But the choice of materials isn't that in itself an attempt by artists to break new ground and get away from, for instance, say, you know, not going the painting is dead route, but, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk in this past week even about artists either making work that is very similar to past artists and then maybe sometimes some folks maybe jumping or adding a little assumption that it's also made for the market you know, oh, instead yeah, of just yeah. maybe that's what they're making. But yeah. I wonder, like, is there a way, if you're, like, a huge uh, uh, Willem de Kooning fan, like, do you break that habit by, say, working in sculpture with, you know, found wood? You know, again, just to completely take it in a different direction. I think artists can bounce around more now than, than they used to, and... and you can do that without the judgment, maybe, that you would have experienced in the past. That's interesting what you're saying about about the market. I don't get the sense, you know, in any of the recent conversations I've had, I don't, these, are, these are artists that started out with a vision and they uh, followed through with that. Yeah. But there are plenty of examples 
of playing to a market, right? I see, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, maybe like the the more kitschy folk art versus those going for high art. Yeah. But maybe with the same. But I mean, then again, doesn't that go down to craft, labor, intent? Yeah. And all of those sorts of things, which are, you know, at play in any of the traditional mediums. But the Lonnie Holly show is a classic example. I mean, I think there probably are a lot of preconceptions about what that work's going to look like and how much it's going to be in there. And, it's, and yet, um, yes, it's found objects and repurposed, reconstituted, whatever you want to say, but it's very clean. That's true. You know, it's very sculptural. There's a deceptive simplicity in in Lonnie Holly's work, in Michi's work, in um, in Rabidou's work. If yeah, you... I think there yeah there's a hook, and it's funny like in in terms of you know like we're, I believe we're going to be talking about ways of seeing John Berger, but you know that when I think of seeing comes before words is one of his points and I think you know that's that's a, a creed that I've adopted I mean in terms of my work I still feel like that's the most important thing and then those that want to dig a little deeper like we can certainly talk about some of the the ideas and underpinnings behind it but you provided a hell of a segue there by the way that's what I'm here for <laughs> we had the opportunity to attend a talk recently and we'll leave the name out we had mixed. Fair enough. We, we both had mixed feelings about about the material itself. But what it did do is ways of seeing was mentioned in that, and I remember, oh, it's on my list, and I hadn't gotten to. I was thinking the book, and it turns out the four episodes ways of seeing the BBC series available on YouTube, and I want to thank you. Very relaxing. You gave me a bit of a nudge in that direction, and. I was hooked after the first one, the first episode. I don't know if this is the feeling out there. Second episode kind of was great, and then it starts to drag a little. But by the end of it, you're left with this impression of, wow. We take so much of that for granted now. Sure. I, now I realize that the book came after. I think so. So the book is based on the BBC series. Yeah, I'm going to have it. There's like four chapters. So um, you, you nudged me in that direction, and I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. And I also want to thank you. You gave me How to See David Sally's book, and I am just a little bit into it. I purposely followed up Ways of Seeing mm-hmm. with this yeah. rather than read Ways of Seeing. I wanted to jump to this and then and think about the two together and I, I thank you for that because it they, while on the list sometimes you just don't get to them but you had some ways of seeing material that you well I just you know I think that's easy to get caught in the the time warp for instance and the production value like if you're actually watching it and think it's kind of campy but there there are some oh yeah yeah, brings yeah. Up some great points and then there's some others that seem really obvious and you're just like they seem obvious but they but, were not until you know but they're they're I guess like anything, I always bristle at what comes across as like absolutes and like when he starts talking about meaning and how meaning has changed in the age of reproduction, yeah. quoting, you know, Walter Benjamin. 
you know, and I certainly understand that. We've talked at length about viewing habits. We talked with Stuart Haragner about that, and I'm always fascinated, you know, those, whether going to a museum, how do you look, engage with the material versus even those that look at books versus those that have a steady diet of, you know, maybe it's all, only through Instagram or, or online or what have you, you know. Um, is there one way that's superior? And obviously that's very subjective, but, you know, Berger would have it that, Obviously, the only the original counts that, that has the meaning. The reproduction completely yeah, right. quashes it. And I was just thinking, though, you know, not only is meaning changed by a reproduction, but um, and and this is where I don't feel like he gives any credit. But the the content or meaning is changed by the viewer. Yes, yes. we're all bringing our own. So what, like it or not, the artist's intent. I still feel like let's face it, we can walk across and look at Lonnie Holly's show over there and. You know, depending on the day, what you, what you're thinking, what you may have already read. Like I have a feeling, unless you read his wall texts, you're going to be bringing your own associations to it. And I think that goes across the board in how we experience art. And yet, then when we, when I read a nice, or I should say, well-written piece of criticism, you know, it seems like there are certain critics that castigate, you know viewers as Philistines if they're not getting the, the, the meaning and the idea and you know it's funny how like all of our uh, kind of bullet points for this discussion seem to be setting up a discussion between formalism and conceptualism I mean, mm-hmm. and David Sally that's to a T in there I mean I think he sums it up with like nobody ever loved a painting for its ideas and that flies yeah. smack in the yeah. face of two pieces that came out this week um, everybody likes like art. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Rob Colvin and Hyperallergic. Uh, that was a pretty uh, stinging uh, set of criticism about art that looks very much like art you've already seen, that you know very well, and that you already like. And you know, threw out uh, a couple of artists, and then uh, actually showed the lookalikes mm-hmm. in, in his mind. Uh, maybe dig a little bit back into like that zombie formalism which was uh, you know Martin I don't know if it's Mugar or Mujar pardon my M-U-G-A-R and Jerry Saltz around the same thing around 2014 when he had his uh, zombies on the wall where he I think he labeled the you know the crapstraction crapstraction argument about the you know basically work that's decorator friendly tailor made for this digital age um for distribution and viewing, like made, this is a quote, like made for trade um, and made uh, largely by art school trained, you know, mm-hmm. artists. And I just feel like this is a familiar thing that I'm seeing over and over again, that like it's something that's bad if you're making work that's for sale, doesn't it? I mean, it kind of sounds implied there. And they're also saying that there's, you know, there's no meaning. Um, you probably saw the takedown of Amy Feldman Mm-hmm. Uh, hyper allergic over the weekend, and um, you know, and I, we could talk about what we think about her, her, her work, but uh, it was amazing to read the comments and see people just like a, like a lynch mob just jumping on, like this is great, and then the end, and a million quotes of the emperor has no clothes yeah. and and all of that. And I'm just thinking, like I haven't seen stuff with teeth in a while, and it's like actually like name calling some current. Artist, but it's a lot of these same things. Like, there's no meaning. It's it's decorative. It's for sale. It's uh, versus this this notion of purity, 
of somebody that's just making ideas in some cabin somewhere. And I, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I read these things and it makes me dig out some old articles, but, um, going back to Berger, wasn't he saying, uh, when, that the meaning is in the original, but then right. the original, the meaning is determined by the context within which that meant that original is displayed. Correct. Now think about that. Right. How does it? But don't you think, like, that's what I started thinking also, though. There's also meaning that's implied or not endorsed, but by the, by the institute, like if it's in a museum, it suddenly gives it a whole lot more, uh, what, like an imprimatur mm-hmm. than if it's just hanging in, like, mm-hmm. a barn somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. they're, they're, they suddenly, things get invested with a power and a status, mm-hmm. going back to our that's recent absolutely talk. correct. And I, you know, I have to say about it, like, what, isn't it always about, like, it always goes back to some kind of positioning and status and power, and, it, and who's conveying that? Is it a critic? Is it, was it the church at times, or governments? I mean, but there has to be somebody mm-hmm. on high saying, That's this is good. Mm-hmm. Something that stayed with me in this Sally book is actually in the introduction. It has stayed with me. I'm, as you see, I'm not far, but I keep coming back to this. He says in the introduction, again, this is How to See, David Sally, and it's a collection of uh, essays, and here he says, the essays ask in various ways, what makes a work of art tick? What makes it good? What makes it interesting? Yeah. Again, it doesn't have to be that complicated. I know some people experience the world of contemporary art as a minefield of jargon designed specifically to trip them up. My hope is that the general reader, that is anyone with even a passing interest in the subject, will find in these essays the counter-argument that a core of art's meaning can be accessed without a lot of specialized equipment. Berger makes makes the same argument. Yeah. And it's nice to see that. The minefield of jargon that he mentions is exactly what keeps so many people away from art and contemporary art and spending money to support the artists that make that art. Well, I've, I'm feeling though it's a it's an artist or or critical argument. Like we're in this loop. They're the only ones that seem to care. Like for instance, um, I wound up pulling out um, what happens when we run out of styles, which was a great piece by John Yao, in December of 2013. And um, you know, again, he's in direct opposition to Sally in terms of uh, talking about you know work that's. Um, that artists that are like as he used the term like a caboose to uh, successful strategies that worked in the past mainly minimalism and as he put like that these are artists that are not engaging directly with an artist's work or ideas but perpetuating a look Mm. so we're getting back into that territory Mm. and you know the suggestion is if you know how to package and produce a look that you'll probably be successful again like in the eyes of the market and this is a great and very damning quote, but you become a high-end art director in the guise of a forward-thinking conceptual artist. And here he was talking about Wade Guyton, mm-hmm. um, Sarah Morris. You mentioned that Sally was kind of talking about the jargon, and, and John Yao in this piece really nails Sarah Morris to the wall in terms of, uh, you know, essentially calling it very slick, decorator-friendly uh, abstraction under the guise that it's about power structures and this sort of thing. And again, like take a sexy concept and pin it to uh, 
what the critic is saying uh, is is empty, devoid of meaning. Isn't that funny? You know, and that... <laughs> but if an artist says it's about that, yeah. I mean, this is a great, really well done article. But I mean, it's you know, on one hand, you know, he throws out the great Stellaism. You know, what you see is what you see. But it's just again that it's all about appearances. I'm like, okay, so who are the folks that are out there that are weighing in on these meaty ideas and at the end of the day though if you're not if your job isn't to get clicks as a critic do you care do you want to look at that work i mean i'm not making a judgment here but i I, my head spins sometimes like okay so then as an artist are you supposed to make this really heady you got to come up with a really valid idea before you make a mark on anything right well that flies in the face of a lot of great art that's out there, let alone people that want to look at art. It's amazing what people respond to. Uh, good, bad, or I mean, like, there's so many good examples and horrible examples of, like, say, mark-making, you know? Is that what is driving activist art? I don't... That's a good question. Don't you think that's also just the, the time? Right now, everybody's asking, like, what's the role of the artist? Um, I, I, I question that as well we've discussed it what you know there are plenty of people that have that continue to make political work whether it's activist uh and then i think there are some that are just jumping on the bandwagon as i've noticed just even seeing some of these hashtags where suddenly you're like where the hell did that come from is that a thing i love it i love it have you seen have you seen any of the subsequent berger interviews or the sally uh there's a sally lecture from his, ICA. His, that or his Bruce Hyde quality. Okay. I've seen those and read that. Okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see the ICA. He's I'm, bright. I think he's... I like his writing. He just gets... I mean, do you sense, like, there's so much bias against him and it's, like, because he's, like... Instantly, it's he's thrown into, like, the, the, the you know, the, what, 90s boom with, you know, Eric Fischel and yeah. all those folks. Yeah, and, yeah. There's, I think it was Janet Malcolm wrote a piece in the New Yorker. I swear it was like '94, and it's they met for like over two years, and it's like, and she always refers to him as the artist David Sally or the painter. It's so formal. You're just That's great. What the hell? But she has, spends a lot of time. She's a great writer, but she spends a lot of time like I don't know if I like him or hate him, like on and on and on. What's like, because the underlying thing was because he was successful. It, of course. Of course. But I mean, here he is. With that still... kind of success, in the backs of people's minds, it can't be good. I guess. You know, is that like so suddenly you're like Justin Bieber or something? You're not taken serious. Apparently he is a, uh, I don't know, if, uh, virtuoso is probably not the right word, but apparently he is extremely talented. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what I hear. From, from a young I know, age. That's I, what don't I, hear. Know. I know. Hey, that's what I hear. Prince was a I don't genius, know. you know? Yeah. I don't... Anyway. Uh... But I think you're maybe maybe that's correct. But what about the longevity though? In terms of like he's still out there making work. I saw a show yes. maybe two years ago in Chelsea that you know held my attention. Do I care about his ideas behind the work? No, you know. I mean, but it looked it was it was fresh, and it you was, just didn't, you enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the work, and I, you isn't know, that enough? Well, I, I, but I mean, I feel like. In, Embarrassed, or sometimes you're thinking like, "Wow, can I? Should I say that out loud, or is someone going to swing a bat at my head?" I sometimes I wish, uh, as much as I find a, a lot of this um, fascinating, 
you know, you just think it maybe it'd be nice just to just to not to just to just <laughs> yeah. Why do I spend my life? <laughs> Some of what we're discussing today has been discussed elsewhere in a lost episode. And did the Russians take it? The Russians took it. It's been hacked. With the the website was hacked, it's and it's been resulted all through Lithuania. It resulted in at least one lost episode, and those are now available on the website at brainfuzzpodcast.com. Whatever we can gather detail wise from those from those lost episodes. Among one of the recent developments, I think I told you, Joe, that. Um, I had a Fluence RT81 turntable being delivered to my home. Yeah. I don't know what you've read about the RT81. I've been in suspense. It's a beautiful turntable. Uh, I wanted to. How's it sound? It sounds great. Some of the negative reviews that I read about the turntable, there was a fluctuation in speed within about the first seven to ten days, (laughs) and I experienced it myself. I, the Fluence turntable comes with a, I want to say a 30-day guarantee, and I was preparing to send it back, and then I rebalanced the tone arm, and this sounds, it sounds great. So there's, I think, I don't know why that would occur. It's belt drive, correct? Belt drive. That's interesting. I have heard that there's a break-in period for some turntables. That makes sense. Belt-driven especially, and... I think that that's what we're dealing with here. I'm very happy with this turntable at a price point of less than $300. Oh, wow. How many hours in do you think you are? I don't know. I don't know. Um, gosh. See, it changes it, doesn't it? You just want to, like, listen to the record, and now you're, like, you're worried about the gear and how many hours. And my record's clean. Yeah, see, and that's not. But I wanted to ask you. We've talked about some titles here and there. You know, for whatever reason, an album comes again to your attention. And I was thinking if we had a segment on each episode where we pick, it doesn't have to be vinyl, it doesn't matter the format, but I would say a collection of songs. I'm totally cool with that. Hit me, go. What do you call it? Do you call it... uh, Well, that has to go through the focus groups. You know what? So far, the focus group has been pretty... uh, Pretty honest. To your earlier point, and this is gonna, I'm gonna have to edit this for just a second because I, I forgot, almost forgot all about this. Brain fuzz. I wish that this listener had reached out to us on the uh, website at brainfuzzpodcast.com and commented perhaps on a favorite episode. But uh, from the Ukraine, Miroslav writes. I wanted to thank you for the good and the quality of the program. I'm with my family. I always listen to you with great pleasure. <laughs> I would very much like to receive your gifts with your logo. Is this possible? Your fan. Any uh, send his uh, mailing address? So I don't know. We don't really have any. Um, oh, I've, we've got some. We could put a package together. You think so? Oh, definitely. All right, Miroslav, it might take some time, but uh, I hope we can get something out to you soon. Thanks for the feedback. Keep it coming. We want to hear from you. And if you're posting on social media, hashtag Brain Fuzz Podcast.
Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at BrainFuzzPodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag BrainFuzzPodcast. Now, go demystify. <laughs> <laughs>